Great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about your wallet. I want you to know that we are on the job to serve you during this time of uncertainty, the financial fallout with coronavirus. And coming up later, I want to talk about the fact that you are not alone. A lot of people feel at loose ends. And I want to tell you that a lot of us are going to have to navigate our way through these difficult times together. Speaking of helping you navigate it, Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com, our team on both websites working really hard to help you stretch every dollar and deal with today's financial uncertainties and difficulties. Now, I want to talk about something that is really important for your long-term future. And I know for many people, it's hard to think about long-term future today. But I want you to think about this. When we hit the roughest time with the Great Recession, following the banking scandals in 7, 8, and 9, that really from 07, we didn't make a full recovery till 2015. It took eight years for the economy to get back to where it had been. But there's one thing that some people did that others didn't that made a big difference in where their wallets ended up. And that is people who back then panic sold their investments in a retirement account or an investment account ended up suffering permanent financial loss. On the other hand, those who just sucked it up and stayed in ended up doing not okay. They ended up doing great. The value of accounts from 09 to roughly 18 quadrupled in value. And so something that gives me great hope is Morningstar has just reported, they're a big pointy-headed financial research group, that only 5% of people, 1 in 20, have changed how their 401ks are invested. And that is great, great news because I know it's tough with what we're seeing. And I believe that we could have a significant fall in investments from here. But so what? Because it's all about the goal. And with the goal, typically with a 401k or IRA being down the road, as you may have heard me say, there's direct advantages to you staying the course because every month moving forward, if the market tanks for a while, every dollar you put in buys you more shares. And ultimately, the boomerang effect makes you much more money or slingshot effect makes you much more money down the road. A second surprise is something that I saw from Vanguard. Vanguard that has a lot of individual investors that invest money not in retirement accounts, 90% of those investors have not changed things. Even if they freaked out, they haven't changed things. Because history shows, if you go back to what happened in 1980, 81, and 82, 1987, 1999 and 2000, the 2001 terrorist attacks, the banking scandals I talked about a minute ago, in every single case, regardless of how bad the fall was, the market recovered. And that's why, even if it gets ugly from here with your investments, 
unless you have to have the money to live on. Keep them diversified, those retirement accounts, leave them in those target retirement funds and let them figure out the allocations of investments for you and keep contributing as long as you're still working. Uh, we are answering your questions a little bit differently right now. We are having you post your questions at clark.com slash ask as we always would ask you to do. But right now, producers Kim and Joel are asking your questions for you. And Kim, you're first. What do you have today? All right. So this is on behalf of many people that wrote in overnight. Everyone is everyone who did not receive their stimulus payment yet, which I think is like about half of people who are due them are trying to figure out why. And their questions revolve getting money for someone who is deceased, money going into the wrong account, the get payment website, not helping them. Stuff like that. So I didn't know if there was any new information that you had on why some people might not have gotten a check yet. There are a number of reasons why people are not getting checks. And uh, probably the most common is people who are going to get actual physical checks instead of direct deposit. As an example, I have the displeasure every single year of owing additional tax when I file my return. And so the IRS is basing sending money to people on your 2018 and 2019 tax returns. If you haven't filed 2019 yet, they're looking at your 2018. If you paid money instead of getting a refund in 2018, they don't know where to send it. So as a result, they are going to send you a check unless you go to irs.gov and attempt to register direct deposit information there. Uh, the second thing, and I think we had a question about it yesterday, Kim, was if somebody has changed banks or changed accounts, the money goes to that old account, if that's what the IRS had in their records, and then in theory bounces back to the IRS, which then in theory, again, gives you the ability to go on the IRS website, give them new direct deposit information, or just wait the months till an actual paper check shows up. Um, there has been a third situation that has been only modestly reported so far, and that's been problems that have occurred with people who used uh, tax preparation services like H&R Block, that there's been a problem with getting those refunds, getting the $1,200 to people who used either tax prep software third party or had a third party tax prep firm do your return for you. And H&R Block has done a posting, you can go see it if you used H&R Block to do your taxes, saying that um, they have been trying to get answers from the IRS how to make the refunds flow to people who use them for tax prep. So those are the three main reasons. There are other more minor ones. Um, one we dealt with a lot uh, about three weeks ago, and that is if your income puts you in a situation where you have not had to file a return in the past, that the IRS doesn't know to give you money and so there's a special simplified form that now is on irs.gov that you click on 
you fill out this micro tax return, if you would, puts you in their system, and then it creates the eligibility for your money. One other thing I wanted to give an update on, Kim, that came up, I think, two days ago, is someone asking, um, what happens if I get money I'm not supposed to have? Uh, maybe a loved one has died under your roof, or we had someone who had a, a child who's now 18 but was paid as if they were 16. And as of now, the IRS has said nothing about any clawback procedure or plan. And uh, there's a lot of speculation that that's such a no priority that they may not get around to that. And people may just be allowed to keep overpayments like that. But remember this, the IRS has just been silent to this point on that. So we don't know exactly how that will play on the helicopter money. And Joel, what you got? Clark Matthews got a question. He says, I work for an essential business. I'm a single dad with a recent cancer survivor for a minor daughter that is immunocompromised. So if I voluntarily leave my job due to the risk, the increased risk, do I qualify for unemployment? So my understanding is that that is an exception to a voluntary quit, that you would be eligible for unemployment compensation. You got a lot to deal with with health issues in your household. And so that is a situation that normally is not covered by unemployment. But in what I've been reading, it is covered under a coronavirus exception. Now, having said that, state unemployment compensation systems are not programmed for this kind of situation. So normally you would be declined for unemployment compensation, and then you have to enter into your state appeal process because of the particular circumstances involving coronavirus. Kim? Cooper says, I got a notice about my car lease being extended for 30 days, no charge, with an option to extend the lease for up to 150 days. Surely this won't change the residual value and lower the price to buy the lease at the end, right? If I want to buy it, should I go ahead and do that instead of taking this extension? It only has 16,000 miles and I have about 30 or 32K, so I won't be anywhere near over mileage. What a, what a great, great question. If it's a used vehicle that you love, it has not an unknown history, you've been the driver, you know it, you have a residual value in the lease, I would uh, go ahead and try to negotiate a reduction from what the buyout is in the lease. So here's what's going on. Um, and I need to give a full report on this and all the nuance uh, maybe in a, uh, another show in a couple of days, auto sales are down 68%. And people lease, about a third of vehicles that people bought three years ago were leased. Those are coming back in massive numbers right now. Uh, month by month, hundreds of thousands of leases are up. Nobody wants them in the automotive industry and used vehicle values are collapsing. So paying what the stated residual is in the lease, even though it's your vehicle, you know the history, you're way below miles, is 
um, overpaying for it right now, potentially. So what I would do is I'd say, hey, I'd rather just buy it. Will you make me a deal? Because I know it's not worth what the residual is in it. And ask that question. If you're refused, you still know there was no harm in asking. But if your intention is to buy it, go ahead and just do it from the um, leasing company instead of waiting any amount of time. Now, people in the industry might say, no, Clark, that's not right at all. Take the one month, see if it softens up the leasing company to give you a better deal. And, you know, on second thought, maybe that is the best thing to do. Take a stab first, see if they'll reduce the buyout price. If they won't, take them up on the 30 days and then try again to see if you can buy it at a lower residual value. Uh, Joel? Clark Brittany wrote in, she says, I'm in the market for a home. A lot of people are saying that I should wait because there will be a decline in prices and an increase uh, in available homes once COVID-19 is over. So should I buy now or should I be waiting? So watch the market closely. Use the tools that are available to you where you can follow real estate like Zillow or any of the other apps like that. See the price movements by zip code which you can track very easily using these home shopping apps. The answer will become clear as we go through what would normally be the peak buying season. Are there people who are putting homes on the market that they need to sell in a slow market that they are cutting prices? So let the market pr- price, let the marketplace pricing, say that three times, guide you on whether you should go ahead and buy now or whether you're best off waiting to see what happens later this year or next year. It's time for today's Clark Rave. The Clark Rageous moment has been put in the deep freeze because we all need good news right now. And that's why we do the Clark Rave, where we put a special focus each day on an individual or people that are making a positive difference to help others. And I want to talk about something that happened in Indiana and something that happened in Iowa. So an anonymous man or woman in in Indiana put up almost a quarter million dollars to pay every water and sewer bill for every citizen of a small town in Indiana. And, I mean, think about the, the weird ways people are finding to help. But with so many people struggling financially to take a bill off their plate and they not have to worry about if their water is going to be shut off or anything like that is phenomenal. And, again, the contributor, according to the Indianapolis Star, is anonymous. Then I want to tell you about somebody else in Iowa. This man or woman in Iowa, oh no, actually it it does say the anonymous donor was a man, put $82,000 on gift cards so people would have spending money and sent them to every single resident in a town in Iowa. And you hear these things popping up all over the country where people 
who are doing okay financially, whose finances are solid, are turning around and doing things for others. In many cases, anonymously, in others, uh, stating who they are, but doing incredibly generously. One of the uh, Silicon Valley guys gave away a quarter of his entire net worth in order to help others. The guy's name is Jack Dorsey, who's always been kind of a controversial figure in Silicon Valley. But a quarter of everything he's got, he gave away. It's my pleasure to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. There are so many reports about people feeling hopeless right now and feeling alone. You know, the very act of having to shelter in place with so many people who do live alone has created um, a bit more desperation in people that you're worried about money and you don't have your normal interaction with people that give you support through tough times and you feel alone in this I want you to know that you are not alone and so many people are suffering because of the financial fallout following the medical problem of coronavirus and I saw on best money moves survey data that more than one in four Americans have already suffered a furlough, a layoff, or a straight-out job loss. Now, that stat is higher than the official federal stats, but they're a trailing indicator. More than half of Americans now are concerned about being able to feed themselves and those in their household. This is serious stuff. And I don't know if you've seen any of these uh, videos of the food bank lines around the country. But what has surprised the people who operate food banks is they're seeing a completely different kind of client right now than normal. They're seeing a lot of people drive up in new fancy vehicles who don't have money to feed their families right now. Uh, 45% of people say that they're worried about making rent payments or mortgage payments. And we already know a third of people didn't make their April rent payment. The number, the percent not making mortgage payments, by the way, by comparison, the first stat showed that 4% of people with mortgages did not make their payments. So either it's that people who own a home are more nervous about losing it and made that a higher priority or generally people who own a home tend to be more financially strong going into this than others but the ratio has been much rougher for people with rent uh, in terms of people being able to make utility payments roughly 40 percent are worried they're going to start missing those and then a third of people are worried they're not going to be able to pay their health insurance premium. So you hear the worry, right? And again, a lot of people feel alone in this. The numbers themselves 
make it clear you are not alone. I want you to know that this desperate hour we are in is not going to go on forever. In fact, this is different than anything any of us alive have experienced, even those that are much older and lived through extremely tough things like World War II and the Korean War and the Vietnam War. This one's different in that the cause was not financial. The result of the medical problem has been financial. But I want you to know as sharp and steep and rough and quick as this decline has been, we will recover in a much quicker mode than we would from something like the, the severe financial problems that the banks brought on us that started in 2007 and took eight full years to cycle through because when something starts as a problem with financial plumbing and criminal acts by financial players, the difficulty of rebuilding the economy is much greater than it is in this case. I do want to say something, though, about what we have the second half of this year. This recovery is going to be choppy. The decline was quick. The recovery will be choppy because we will have to, like an accordion, um, loosen and tighten restrictions based on how health outcomes are coming in different areas of the country. I've talked about this prior on our show, but I just want to remind you that when the healthcare equation is solved with either an effective treatment, and there's lots of rumors about a particular treatment showing good promise, and let's hope that turns out with more testing to be accurate. But once we have a protocol of good testing, then, of not good testing, of good treatment, the economy can recover much better. And then once we have a vaccine, we go into a mode of a significant and sustained recovery. So this cycle we're looking at is measured in months, not in many, many, many years. And Kim, as we have listeners post questions at Clark.com slash ask, You and Joel are asking those questions for them. And who do you have? This is from Tim. And he says, as a way to stimulate business, wouldn't it be great if we could buy prepaid gasoline cards at today's rates to lock up the price? And then we could get maybe like 100 gallons for $180? Well, that's called playing the futures market. And the big money crowd does that stuff where they hedge oil, they hedge gasoline, Um, petroleum products, there is no vehicle for an individual to do the same thing. What happens if I'm an individual gas station is the price that I'm paying is something I don't have control over. It's uh, individual gas stations, if they are captives of one of the major oil companies, they have, you know, an Exxon sign out front, BP, Amoco, Shell, whatever, the price they get their gasoline, and in many cases, the price they have to post for the gas is set by the oil company, not by them. Now, if the oil companies themselves 
were willing to sell um, prepaid gallons as a way of dealing with their cash flow problems right now, that might solve a problem for them and provide a great opportunity for you. And I wonder if any oil company people are listening. But other than that, an individual operator or an independent um, chain like Sheets or Wawa or Quick Trip, any of those, uh, they can't do something like that because they don't control the price of the gasoline. It's determined every day by the deliveries they receive based on what's known as spot pricing. But I love the way you're thinking, Joel. Clark Jennifer wrote in, she says, my son is graduating from college in May. Uh, ceremony's been canceled, of course. He's starting grad school in the fall. As part of the grad program, he's required to do internships each summer. The um, paid internship he was hired for this summer is now canceled due to coronavirus. It was going to pay him about 9000 bucks, and that would have been wow. the bulk of his income for the year. Can he apply for unemployment because he lost this job due to coronavirus? Wow. So if an internship, if, you, if you've already got a letter saying you have a job and you lose the job, that's one of the unusual changes with unemployment only for the coronavirus period, which I think the legislation covers for that. If I remember right, and I'm, I could be faulty on this, but I think it's through December 31st that uh, proof that you had been offered a job that now no longer exists is a grounds to file for unemployment, which it has never been before. And um, again, you'll be one of the people who applies for unemployment, will be rejected for it, and then will have to go in the appeal process. But you don't do that until the date that the internship was supposed to start versus what it says on the letter. Now, there is a fuzzy area with internships. If the payment to you was considered to be a stipend, you may not be eligible even under the revised law. If it is pay like normal payroll, my understanding is you would be eligible for unemployment in that case. Kim? Neil says, my wife and I will be 50 this year and we want to shop for a better priced life insurance policy than the one that we currently have. Due to the COVID-19 epidemic, is it the best time for us to be shopping for life insurance or do you think that carriers will be increasing rates to offset the many and current and predicted deaths? Oh gosh, I got to be so careful how I say this that I don't sound ghoulish because you start talking about um, mortality risk and all that. There is a spike obviously in uh, death rates in the United States and in certain other countries in the world. And this is something that is measurable for life insurers, that the, uh, the expected time period that we will be in this tragic circumstance with coronavirus, again, is measured in a relatively short time frame in terms of how insurers think. I've not heard of any insurers raising rates on life insurance or refusing to write life insurance right now. In fact, they're writing a lot more life insurance because of people's fears based on coronavirus. And I think it's just fine for you to go shop for a level term insurance policy because of the fact that 
you're not going to be able to do an in-person medical exam right now. Look at the insurers that are issuing policies based on your medical history that they have access to electronically rather than an actual in-person physical exam. I have a briefing on this at Clark.com, plus I have a guide to the right way to buy life insurance and specifically level term insurance. Joel? Clark John says, do you recommend cruise line travel insurance? I don't recommend you ever buy travel insurance from the cruise line. I want you to buy it third party. And never has that been more true than right now because we don't know which of the cruise lines are going to survive the uh, complete shutdown of revenue but continuing massive costs that they have. Cruise lines have massive fixed costs and heavy debts. So you want to buy at a website like insuremytrip.com or one of its competitors that give you a wide variety of policies that you can buy and make sure whatever trip policy you buy includes what's known as supplier default. In the event that the cruise line were to cease to exist and your money flies away with them, that the trip insurance will cover you. Typical cost of trip insurance is about 6% of the cost of a cruise. That's for a plain policy. If you want to add a lot of extra doodads to it, it can go as high as 9% of the cost of the trip. Kim? Kathy says, I was applying for the PPP SBA program and found out that they ran out of money. Should I still put in my application? I noticed that they will run my credit for the application, and I don't want to lower my credit score if they're not going to have any money to lend me in the long run. First of all, I don't know why they're running your credit, because there's nothing in the PPP that says anything about needing to check your credit. If they're running your credit to verify that you are who you say you are, the question would be, is it a soft hit or a hard inquiry? Don't know if the people at the financial institution you're applying through would know the answer to that. A soft inquiry is like what an auto insurer would do if they were considering writing you auto insurance and does not count as an application for credit that would lower your score a little. As far as continuing your application, yes, do so, because Congress will put up more money for the PPP. It's only a matter of when, not if. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you have a question for me, go to Clark.com slash ask and post it. 
And right now what we're doing is producers Kim and Joel are asking your questions for you. And Joel, who do you have a question from? Clark, this one's from Michael. He says, I wanted to ask a question about what to do with the stimulus money my family is getting. Should we pay off interest-free credit card debt or save it for an emergency fund and extra savings? So this is a kind of decision tree thing. If your jobs or job is secure, if jobs are, if it's a couple, uh, job is, if it's just you, if you're okay, you know that you're in the roughly um, two-thirds to 70% of people whose jobs seem overwhelmingly safe, then you can take that money and use it towards extinguishing debt. If, on the other hand, you don't know what the job picture is going to be like, if you might suffer a pay cut, even if you keep your job, you could lose your job, hold on to that money in reserve because that would be the safest place for it to be in the event that suddenly you are unemployed. Kim? Jason says, I used to travel frequently for work, and because of this, I got a ton of frequent flyer miles. I assume there will likely be airline deals in the future and will make flights pretty cheap. So not knowing if these airlines are going to survive, I want to know how Clark feels about me getting gift cards with my miles. That way, at least I could purchase things like food or subscription services and know for sure that I get to use the miles. That is a fascinating question because, you know, I have, I, I historically have flown so much that I have a massive bank of miles on three different airlines and one of them is one that i think might not make it the other two i think are going to be okay because of the huge grants that we as taxpayers were generous enough to make to the airlines we actually didn't choose that congress did so uh u.s flag airlines i think more or less are going to survive um, there may be one or two bankruptcies, but in a bankruptcy, airlines always get the courts to petition to allow them to preserve miles. The assurance, though, of turning those miles into gift cards is that you know you've got the money, as long as whoever you get the gift cards for stays in business. But you'd have actual real money you could use. The problem is, the ratio of payout on those cards is terrible. So you're getting the ability to use the miles as cash eventually, but the payout you're getting is relatively poor compared to the value of the miles if you use them to fly. The podcast normally would end here, but because of the unusual circumstances we're in, we have additional content that we recorded earlier today that I'd like you to have access to. And this will continue day by day as long as the events warrant. And we are in a time right now where there is peak anxiety, peak upset. And I want to tell you that the stuff being headlined right now would make you think that the end of the world is coming. And I want to tell you that the headlines coming out that say that we're going to have uh, 30%, 40%, 50% decline in the U.S. economy, 
It's just not true. And I want to tell you how the headline writers or the Wall Street crowd trying to draw attention to themselves are creating an unrealistic level of anxiety. So, yeah, things are rotten terrible right now with the layoffs, the loss of life, and all that. But when people say, or a headline writer writes, expect a 50% drop in the U.S. economy, what they're doing is they're taking what's happening this quarter and they're multiplying it times four coming up with an annual effect. So the reality, April, May, June, the economy is going to be rotten terrible. It is rotten terrible. We are in the quickest decline into a severe decline in the economy that there's ever been. And we're in the jaws of it right now. But it's not going to be the same when you look at the second half of the year. We're not roaring back, no matter how much politicians wish the economy would roar back July through December. But we are coming back July to December, and there will be a steady increase in economic activity over the second half of this year and in 2021. So I know that for a lot of us, the situation's dire. We may be tapped out on savings. We're still waiting to shake loose the money tree of state unemployment compensation. And it is a very rough moment. But remember, once that unemployment starts, it continues through July, including the bonus 600 bucks. The U.S. economy will recover. It is a very rough time right now. But don't give up on us and don't give up on yourself because it's rough now, but we're going to be okay. And here's something else I wanted to talk about today. And I can tell you that we are in the time of year that a lot of cell phone manufacturers introduce really expensive high-end cell phones. But this is a completely different time because of coronavirus. Apple, in a completely different move than normal, has introduced a very highly featured with extremely fast technology in it for a discount version of the iPhone. Now, the SE that Apple used to have was really a stripped-down nothing burger. The new one, which for Apple is a cheap price at $399, the new SE has a phenomenal chip in it that's just about the best chip you can have in a cell phone and has a very small screen and a mid-grade camera. But there it is at $399, a phone that was designed and intended to be marketed in low-income countries is being made available in the United States with a big push from Apple, knowing that with people's uncertainty about their jobs who still have them, people's worries about the economy, that $399 suddenly 
sounds like a really good idea versus paying $1,200 for a new iPhone, even if it does have a smaller screen and not the fanciest cameras. And then I told you just two weeks ago about Samsung's new line of A-series phones designed to put a very affordable new phone with a big screen in your pocket, starting at $109 for a 5.7-inch screen. Now, the the Apple, if I didn't say, is 4.7. Samsung's Galaxy A1 is $109. Their A11, which will have a a 6.5-inch screen, is $199. Sorry, I made it too expensive. 199 bucks. And so there are a number of manufacturers, including also Motorola, that is introducing a series of phones in the G line, which is their bargain line, including one that has three days battery life. The G Power that will street price out at two to two hundred and fifty dollars, depending on where you get it. And so if your phone is dying, it gets stolen, it gets lost, and you don't want to refurb, then this is an alternative for you. And in addition, if you do want to get the lowest possible price, there are a lot of deals that you can go on eBay, there are a lot on Woot, where you can get a used phone for under $100 if the idea is to get a phone in your hand but spend as little money as possible. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.